You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really glad that you're here with us. Well, let me tell you, once upon a time, before my wife and I had kids, we were on a flight back from Atlanta, and we were excited to get home. The downside is, is that we didn't have seats that were together. We were separated by about uh, five or six rows, and, and it didn't work out too bad uh, because I had an aisle seat, and my wife, on the other hand, got stuck in a middle seat in between two very large men on either side. And so, and then there was a guy behind her that uh, was, I don't know, seven feet tall and weighed 500 pounds because every time she tried to recline the seat, it wouldn't move because the guy was blocking any possible movement whatsoever. So anyway, uh, we, we hit a little bit of turbulence on the way home. And as my wife tells the story, uh, every time there was turbulence, this big guy that was behind her, he was not very excited about uh, the turbulence. And so he would just grab the top of her seat and start pulling it towards him, be like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And so she'd be, you know, kind of like she was inside of a blender. And so, so anyway, we finally land and uh, we're getting off the plane and she's a few rows ahead of me. So she gets off the plane first and I meet up with her and uh, I say, hey, how was your flight? And then she tells me what I just told you. She's like, it was terrible. I was in between these two guys, this guy behind me. Every time there was turbulence, he was you know, shaking the thing. And she's like, how was the flight for you? I said, oh, it was great. The seat next to me was empty. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, wait, what? She's like, why didn't you tell me that before we took off? And we could have sat together and you could have spared me of the misery that I just experienced for the last two hours. And I said, hey, don't blame me. That was your seat. And those are the rules. And it's not my fault. You did not enjoy flying the friendly skies. And, uh, and, and, you know, because I explained it very logically, as you can imagine, that conversation was over. You think that conversation was over? No. It's still not over. And, <laughs> and so, why, you know, because when you clinging to the rules, right, when you just like start reciting, you know, subsection two of paragraph, that doesn't work. And, and you know that to be the case, right, is that it never ends well. And there's several things I learned that day. And one is that you, you can't have love when you're quoting the rules because love always goes beyond what the rules require. In fact, that's how you fell in love. Um, you, did, you didn't just do what was required. You did more than was required. You spent money you didn't need to spend. You, did out of, you went out of your way and did things you didn't have to do. And, you, and your sp now spouse responded by saying, oh, you shouldn't have, right? Because of course you didn't have to, but love isn't expressed when you're doing the minimum. Love is always expressed when we're doing more than is required. Now, here's what I want you to remember, because I know we Last week was Easter, and we spent the whole week celebrating, and now we're going back to our series in the Gospel of Matthew, and where we are in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is giving the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. He's opened the sermon by talking to us in these eight contrarian ways about how to be happy, and that what do happy people do? After that, he talks about how happy people are salt and light in a world that's very dark and unsavory. 
And then he closes that section to say that he didn't come to destroy the law or annul it. He came to fulfill it. And not, not one jot or tittle, that is not one dotting of an I or crossing of a T was going to go away. And now what he wants to do is explain what he means by that. And so this week and next week, we're actually going to look at his explanation of this. He's going to take six Old Testament laws. We're going to look at three this week, three next week. And he's going to take these Old Testament laws that everyone agreed with, that everyone accepted as the truth, and he's going to take them to the next level. He's going to elevate them. Now, here's the way that it worked. The religious leaders in that day would teach the law in a way that was so specific. Well, how do I fulfill this verse? Well, it's got to be these certain parameters that, and, and so once again, you didn't really have to change at all to be in keeping with the law. And what Jesus is going to show us is not simply the letter of it, but the spirit of the law, that it's so much deeper than outward actions that the law was really supposed to impact your heart, it's supposed to impact your attitude, it's supposed to impact even your intentions. And so he's going to talk about three laws that we'd say we would agree with and that would impact relationships, right? Murder, adultery, divorce. And once again, and by the way, have you noticed that when you talk to people, and, uh, and I, I, I hear this all the time, like, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm not a bad guy, you know, I haven't killed anyone. And uh, as if somehow that becomes the, the dividing line between the good guys and, 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 and the bad guys, right? It's like, I have not committed a homicide, that makes me a fantastic human being. And uh, because that's the thing, that's the one thing that crosses you. And see, there's lots of things that you and I could do that could destroy relationships long before murder gets involved. And the same thing is true in marriage, is that something is deeply broken long before adultery becomes part of the equation. And that's what Jesus uh, is getting at for us, is that he wants to show us that whether it's murder, whether it's adultery, uh, any of those things start way before the actions take place. And if we want healthy relationships, we've got to focus on what's happening way before the actions that can't be undone. And so we need to look at our own hearts and let God do a deep work there. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, and here's what we read. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, that's the Sanhedrin, and whoever says, you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you were on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. And assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to look at in our time together. The first is this, is that relationships should reveal my faith. Now, let me explain kind of how people think things work. The general way that most religious systems work is that as long as you're okay with God and you don't offend God, things are generally good. The problem, and that's partially right, the problem with that kind of thinking is that you and I have run into people over the years who will say that everything is right between me and God, and then they will say, you know, because I'm religious, I have faith, I'm a Christian, whatever, but yet they were jerks. 
Have you ever run into people like that? They say they're Christians, they're doing all this stuff, but they're just jerks. And, um, and, and they were completely okay with being a jerk because they said the right prayers and they believed the right things. And so they didn't think it mattered how you treat people. Now, this was true in ancient Judaism with the, those that Jesus was speaking to, and it's certainly true in 2022 when we talk about loving God. Now, the thing that I want you to understand uh, uh, what Jesus is saying, and he's saying, listen, that idea that you think that things are okay with you and God and that it doesn't matter how you treat people, yeah, that's not going to work. Because loving God means people means that we should be treating people better than simply the, the very base. If the, if the law says don't kill each other, we got to do a little better than that. And that means, listen, you don't kill somebody without having hate in your heart. So let's deal with that. And this is why, why Jesus mentions the words that we use at this point, because we might say, man, I've never killed anybody, but we assassinate people with our words. And this is the thing that Jesus is calling out. Now, when he says these two phrases, you know, you fool or raka, uh, I know that in our culture, it doesn't mean anything. If someone were to say raka to me, I would just assume they're from Boston and they know that I play guitar and they think I like rock music. They're like, oh, Pastor Bob, he's a, he plays guitar. He's a big time rocker. Uh, and so, right. And so, but in that culture, in that culture, if you said raka, raka isn't even a word, by the way. Raka is a sound. When you're going to spit on someone, you'd go, that's, that's the word. That's, the, that's this kind of, and I know it's gross, but I'm preaching the truth, okay? And so, but they, these were... It was the sound you made. It was, a, it was a sign of disgust. You know, a few years ago, and just FYI, that's why I turned this way for those of you guys in the first couple rows. Um, a few years ago, I was teaching this passage, and I did that. And I had a projectile accidentally come out and land on someone in the front row. It landed on this guy. And uh, I was so mortified. And uh, I, I apologized profusely. That's why when I did that, I turned this way. Because I thought, if I hit somebody over here, I mean, that, that's just... A spectacle. To see. Anyway, so I just looked, and, and anyway, uh, but I'm telling you, I just, after the service, I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. And, and he's like, oh, it's okay, it's an accident. And then the ushers threatened to put up one of those shields that they have at Subway. Like, like hey, get your act together, or we're going to have to shield you. So anyway, uh, so that's why I turned, because I don't want to be the boy in the bubble. And uh, so, but Raka, it, just, it, be, it came to mean this idea of someone being worthless, Someone having zero value. And, some, and then the other phrase, you fool, was talking about, it was an insult to their character. And it was, it was, um, it was deeper than just saying a, a fool versus someone who has wisdom. It's that you don't feel that person has any value as a human being. And Jesus is saying that the anger that we have is directly related to how we treat people if we think that this person matters or not. Or if we think that we can still be okay with God and hostile to other people. And then Jesus says something that's very difficult and, and maybe even unheard of. He says, when you're about to offer your gift on the altar and you've got, you realize, man, I did something. I need to go talk to my brother and ask him to forgive me. And he's like, you better just leave that right now. Now, here's the thing. To offer a sacrifice in that day was very expensive very time-consuming. One of the things that I shared with you last time was that every Jewish male had to present himself three times a year before the Lord. And that meant there's thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, uh, arriving in Jerusalem all at the same time, 
all wanting to offer sacrifices to make things right between them and God. So there were currency exchanges that were happening, the buying and selling of animals happening, and now you were waiting in line for hours on end to be able to offer your gift, which was extremely costly. And so you're waiting in line, and he says, now if you're about to offer your gift, that means you've been waiting for hours, maybe even days, and it's finally your turn. And you've spent all kinds of money, and it's taken all kinds of time to get there. And he says, oh, and by the way, if your brother's got something against you, get out of the line. And it's like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. If you've ever been to Disney, you totally understand this situation, right? You ever been at the front of the line, and then you were like, nah, I waited a couple hours. No. I remember when my daughter Mia, my daughter Mia's 15 now, when she was about three, so this is going back a while, uh, we were at the Magic Kingdom. And this is around the time the movie Tangled was really big. And so she wanted to meet Rapunzel. And the line to meet Rapunzel was totally ridiculous. It was, uh, it was over two hours. And so we did what, you know, loving parents do. And so we got in line uh, to meet Rapunzel. And so, and this line is taking forever. And, and so it's, I feel like it's not moving. Mia is sitting in the stroller. And so... Um, Xander's a baby at the time, and so he's in the other stroller, and so I've got the little umbrella stroller that I'm pushing Mia in. And so finally, and so we're trying to get, keep her entertained, and this is before, um, you know, really like phones, and, or, or, you know, phones with fun apps and all that. There's phones were actually just used for make telephone calls. I know it's so strange. I know your phone, uh, phone is just an app on your phone, but there was a time that your phone was just a phone. It's crazy, right? It was maybe that and Minesweeper. That was about it. And so, and if you don't know what Minesweeper is, we probably can't be friends. And so anyway, so what happens is, is that uh, we're trying to keep her entertained, and then we're getting close to the front of the line. There's maybe only about 10 families in front of us, and then I notice that Mia is not moving in the stroller. And I look, and she is totally asleep. Now, Mia, since she's, I mean, she's never been one to take naps. Uh, and, and so she fell asleep. And so now... Uh, I'm, I am beside myself because I've been waiting in this line for two hours. And so, and my wife is like, look, Bob, let her sleep because if we wake her up, she's going to be totally miserable. Let's just get out of the line. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I have waited in this miserable line for two hours. And if I have to, I am taking a picture with Rapunzel. <laughs> but I am not leaving this line until somebody gets a picture with her. And so as we're having this conversation, uh, we are still moving, and then we get to the front of the line, and she is still asleep. And so every time I have to move the stroller, I give it like a little <laughs> jolt to be like, oh, honey, you woke up, so wonderful. And so anyway, so I'm trying to get her to wake up. And so then we're at the front, and now it's our turn. And so I say to the people behind me, I'm like, hey, why don't you guys go? And they're like, wow, thank you. You're so nice. I'm like, I know I really am quite something. Uh, go ahead. And so, and, and, and so now, um, but because, listen, and, and Carrie's like, Bob, what are we, we're gonna, we can't stand. So I'm like, we are going to meet Rapunzel if it kills us. But this is happening. Well, anyway. So I am now, and this is going on 10, 15 minutes. I just keep directing traffic, moving people in front of us. Well, uh, the good people at Disney, the people who work there, they are trained to notice lunatic behavior. <laughs> and what they did is they can scan an audience and find a crazy person. And then they scanned the audience there, and they zeroed in on me. 
And, uh, and so they walked up to me and they're like, sir, uh, are you okay? And I'm like, oh, we passed okay a few exits ago. And, uh, and then I explained my situation and, and, uh, and I'm like, look, I've been waiting forever. I could have watched the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark and still not, you know, be, be here. And so, um, and I said, but don't worry. I'm just going to stand here and direct traffic, help you guys out until my daughter wakes up. And they're like, sir, we can't have you directing traffic because um, you don't work here and you're acting like someone who's unhinged. And, uh, but, but here's what we can do. And then they said, look, we're going to give you a card. And the supervisor comes over. By the way, you know things are falling apart when the supervisor comes over at, at Disney World. And, and, uh, and the supervisor comes over and signs this card. And they said, look, um, you come back. And they're like, you're going to be in the park later today or tomorrow? I'm like, yeah. And they said, okay, here's a card. And you can um, hand it to someone when, whenever, whenever your daughter wakes up. Or if you want to come back tomorrow, whenever uh, you guys want to come. And uh, you hand it. To, to, to a cast member, and they'll take you right to the front of the line. I'm like, well, in that case, I, it's totally reasonable to let you guys start directing traffic again. And so, but see, but listen, because this idea of getting out of line at a theme park seems totally unreasonable. And Jesus is saying that getting out of line to do something spiritual is the right thing to do if there's something different. Like, no, I want to make things right between me and God. And Jesus is saying, don't you realize that making things right between you and God and making things right between you or your brother, those things are connected? You see, and he says, you're about to do something sacred and you realize that he's got something against you because of what you've done, listen, you got to fix it before this gets bigger. Because to offer, and this is just, once again, this is the thing that we have to think about. Because to offer a sacrifice asking for forgiveness or sitting in a service worshiping God and rejoicing in God's forgiveness while outside we're withholding forgiveness, there's a word for that, hypocrisy. It's not us not living in a congruent way. And, and, and that's been the plague of the church. And by the way, it's not only the church that struggles with hypocrisy, right? We all know about doctors who smoke, uh, marriage counselors who get divorced, and vegetarians that occasionally sneak in a pulled pork sandwich, um, right? But it's, it's more serious for us because unbelievers sometimes understand something better than Christians do, that loving God and loving others are inextricably connected. And that's the point that Jesus is making. And the only way we get there is by understanding that this whole idea of not murdering people, it wasn't a just not about killing. It's about how we treat each other. Well, then he goes on and he says this in verse 27. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it uh, from you. For it is more profitable for you than one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, if you pause there and uh, give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you about relationships. Number two is that relationships should uh, reflect my devotion. Now, this is where the guys in the audience, when Jesus is listening, or Jesus is speaking, the guys are listening, and he's like, hey, you know, you've heard it said don't commit adultery, but even if you're lusting after a woman, it's like you've already done it. And they're like, hold on, how did I just become guilty for something that I didn't even do? And um, it reminds me of this time, and I think I've shared this with you before, that uh, when my wife was pregnant, she had this terrible dream one night, and I was so mean to her to the point where she woke up that next morning and was mad at me. 
And, and, I was, and I said, I'm like, why are you so upset with me? And she says, in the dream I had, you were so mean, and I was crying, and you didn't even care. And I was trying to explain to her that I didn't actually do any of those things. And I'm like, I had a dream that I was a ninja. <laughs> and I was defeating people. But I'm not a ninja. I'm a samurai, actually. And, uh, so, <laughs> and, so, and, and she's like, that's not the point, Bob. The point is, is that you could have done it. And that's why I'm so disappointed. And, and I'm like, okay, so for the record, I'm responsible for what I say and also what fictional versions of me say. And, and, and so now, this is, that's not what Jesus is saying. And here's the thing. What Jesus is saying is that every action begins with the thought. And if you want to fix the action, we have to fix our thinking. And so let's back up and talk about what adultery does to a relationship. Adultery destroys intimacy because trust is broken, commitment is devalued, and love is violated. And Jesus is saying, once again, Jesus is talking to Jewish people. Everybody believed the law. Everybody believed in God. Jesus says adultery is wrong. Everybody's like, yeah, we all agree adultery is a bad thing. But here's the thing, and this is the point that Jesus is making, is that lust is doing the same thing in your heart. And this is the point. And listen, if we're, if we're being honest, in some cases, lust, that is desiring another person, is adultery minus the opportunity. Why? Because your heart is still moving in that direction. And so... Um, because being happily married is more than just cheating. So let's talk about this for a minute. And that is, how do, we, how do you affair-proof your marriage? So it's like, hey, I don't even want to get there. So how do I do some, say, create some safeguards in my life or do some positive things in my life so that I never even get there? So if you're a note taker, and uh, this is important if you're married or if you ever want to be, but here's, here's the, the first one if, uh, if you're a note taker. Number one is this. Keep pursuing your spouse. I want you to think about the things that you did to get your spouse. You surprised her with flowers. You took her to dinner. You went out of your way to win her love. It's an easy thing to do at the beginning, but you just can't stop doing those things. No matter how long you've been married, you just got to keep doing those things. And I remember uh, taking my wife out on our first Valentine's Day. We had been dating for about two months um, and and I, I even still have a picture of it. So this is the picture of us. Uh, our first Valentine's Day, 1993. I know, so sexy. Carrie looks good too. And, uh, and so, uh, <laughs> and so, and I was, I was so nervous. Like I said, we had been dating for about two months. And you can take that picture down because nobody's going to pay any attention to me uh, with my wife wearing a black dress. And, um, and so anyway, so we've been dating about two months. I took her to this, this restaurant called Yesterday's, that's on the intercoastal, uh, it was on the intercoastal in Fort Lauderdale. And, and I'll never forget as we walked in, it is the fanciest restaurant I had ever been in, in my life. And so you have to understand, my family uh, are Cuban, and so we, the only place that Cuban people go out to eat is Cuban restaurants. And so that's how you know it's a good Cuban restaurant, by the way. You walk in, and it's all Latin people eating there, like, okay, this place is for real. So anyway, um, so I, we hadn't really done anything that was, that was non, uh, a non-Cuban restaurant. So anyway, I take her to this place. Um, and so it was this kind of fancy. And that is we sat down and they gave us these warm washcloths when we sat down. And so I was like, oh, wow, that's nice. And so I'm, I'm watching, because my wife had been to nice places with her grandparents. And uh, so she's just, you know, um, 
washing her hands uh, with this warm washcloth. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. And then I take the washcloth and I start washing my face with it. And, 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 she, and so she's, she's like, and who is this moron I've gone to on a date with? Well, anyway, um, I spent more on that meal than I spent on the car that drove us there, okay? And so, and they only allowed valet, so I had to valet my white 1981 Toyota Corolla. And by the way, it was not the 80s uh, when we were there. And so, and, and it wasn't my favorite moment, because once again, they gave, and that was the first time I'd ever valeted a car. And, um, and once again, we walk out, and every, all these cars are being pulled up. It's all Mercedes and BMWs. And then the valet guy shows up with my car. The white Corolla comes up and, and, and says, hey, uh, what number, whatever, whose car is this? And I just stood there, and I'm like, don't say a word. And I just, I was so embarrassed. I'm like, yeah, what loser brought that car? Me, oh, I'm waiting for my spaceship. And, uh, and so I just waited for it to clear out a little bit. And I'm like, hey, man, where's that number? That's me. I'll see you later. And, um, and, so, and, and listen, going all out is easy when you're trying to win her love. But if you want to be hap- um, happily married, listen, you need to keep doing those things. And, and, and that changes over time. And, um, you know, the thing that she might want is just, you know, help with the kids or help with dinner or just time together so that you can both talk. And, uh, and I'll tell you this, one of the things that I'm, I'm so grateful for in, in my marriage, and um, in the, my wife and I have been married for 25 years, if you're not aware. And, uh, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I do. But is that Carrie and I, we really do everything together. And, uh, I mean, we... We go food shopping together. We cook dinner together. Um, our mailbox is down the street from our house for whatever reason. Someone thought that was a good idea when they built our house. Like, instead of having it like right next to your house, we should have it a block away. And uh, so, but we just do this. You know, we just we, every day we just like, hey, you want to go? And then we grab the key and we walk down to the mailbox. And um, and so, and I think that's one of the things that has just kept our marriage. Um, so close for 25 years is that we just like being around each other and we like doing things together. And uh, one time, uh, my wife and I, years and years ago, we were in this McDonald's of all places and there was this couple in their 80s and they were sitting at this little table for two at McDonald's and they had ordered a cheeseburger and fries and a drink and the guy cut the cheeseburger in half and put half for her, half for him and... um, divided up the fries, half for her, half for him. And, um, and, and she starts eating and he's just watching her and they're talking and he's not eating a thing. And I, I walk up to him like, man, you guys are the cutest couple. And, uh, and I just see that you're sharing everything, but is it, I'm sorry to ask this, but uh, why aren't you eating? Are you okay? And he's like, oh son, everything's fine. And, and um, we do share everything, but right now it's her turn with the teeth. And um, <laughs> so... The, <laughs> That actually didn't happen to me, but what if it did? And uh, that would have been really something. So <laughs> I, I love telling that story. I do. It's so good. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but you got to keep pursuing each other. And you got to make sure that you're doing things together. Even sharing your dentures. And um, so here's the second one. And that is you got to make intimacy a priority. 
Um, couples argue over three things. They argue over money, they argue over communication, they argue over sex. Most of the guys in the room heard something, something sex, and they're like, what? This man's anointed. That's what I'm hearing. And um, now listen, let me, let me tell you this, that um, more than 65% of couples, um, when, they were, when they talk about when there was infidelity in their marriage, more than 65% of couples say that their relationship was lacking physical intimacy. Now, that doesn't make, what, it doesn't make adultery right, but it does mean that if we want to affair-proof our marriages, we have to have honest conversations about our desires and about our spouse's desires. Because listen, and if you're not aware of this, God wants every married person to enjoy sex with their spouse. Because sex uh, is the vehicle that God created for men and women, married men and women to express intimacy with each other. And once again, you can see this all through the Bible. And I love this passage in uh, the book of Proverbs uh, where it says this. You'll see it up on the screen in just a second. He says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. And may you always be captivated by her love. Now, I don't know if you should quote that verse to your wife and be like, Honey, I saw a deer recently, and I was like, oh, dear, my wife. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's going to work. I have a friend that tried it once, and the results were mixed. Um, but you should definitely believe it, because we are living in a culture that has completely lost its mind when it comes to sex and intimacy and lust, and the way that we ins insulate ourselves from a culture gone crazy is by making sure that things are good at home. In fact, just a couple verses prior to what we just read in Proverbs 5, I love what Solomon writes in Proverbs 5, 15, where he says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. And then he talks about uh, your spouse. And so um, what is he talking about? And he's not talking about, you know, getting a filtration system for filtered water. He's talking about intimacy with your spouse. And so, uh, you know, if you're thirsty... Drink from your own well. That's what he's, he's saying. Well, how much water can a married couple drink? As much water as they want. Well, can we flavor the water? Mix things up? You can do whatever you want. As long as it's you and your spouse and it's not ungodly, illegal, or makes either of you uncomfortable, and you're saying, this is intense talk about water. <laughs> it is. And you know how you ask your kids all the time when, when you leave here today, you're going to ask your kids, kids, what'd you learn at church? And they're like, nothing. And you're like, nothing. You're there for an hour. It's like, I don't know, something about the Bible. I don't know. And then, the, you know, and then every once in a while, your kids would be like, what did you learn today? <laughs> we, we, we learned about how important it is for married couples to stay hydrated. That's what we learned. <laughs> That's what we learned. And so, and then here's number three. Take radical action. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't speaking literally because you don't need to have both of your eyes to lust. And so, but what he is saying is this. We need to take radical action when it comes to sin because um, if there's something that's causing us to sin, then we've got to cut that out of our lives. If there is a friendship at work that's dangerous, and you know it's dangerous, here's Jesus' word for you. Find a new job. Oh, but how can I do that? I mean, well, uh, well you do that or... Find a new family after everything explodes. But once again, and, and I'm not saying, you know, you already know if that relationship is dangerous. So I'm not saying that you can't work with anyone that you might find attractive. But 
Um, and I, I wouldn't necessarily apply for a new job. And the interviewer says, um, you know, why is it that you want to work here? Well, I, I, I walked through your establishment and everyone here is so ugly. I thought this is the perfect place for me. And uh, that's probably not the way to go. Uh, but you know if you're in a tempting situation. And here's what Jesus is saying. Run. If, if the internet is causing you to sin, then here's what you have to do. You've got to decide that you just can't be online. I have a friend that struggled years ago with this. And to this day, and this was years ago that he struggled, and he has this service that he uses. Uh, it's called Covenant Eyes. And it sends me. And he, just, he called me and he said, hey, um, I've been having this struggle. I got this service. And every week it's going to send you a report of every single website uh, or, uh, that I go on on any of my devices. And so every week, uh, myself and another friend, um, we, get this, we get this report of every single website uh, that, that, that he goes on. And you say, well, isn't that extreme? No, it's not extreme. It's wise. Because you should talk to someone who has had an affair and, and they would do anything to undo what they've, did, what, what they've done because after the thrill is gone, all that's left is pain. And so instead of waiting for the pain to enter your life, here's the thing that Jesus is saying. Why don't you just take radical action to keep that away from you? You know what the Bible calls that? Wisdom. And then Jesus closes this in um, verse 32 where he says, uh, 31, pardon me, where he says this. My Bible moved. Here we go. It says, uh, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever uh, marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Now, Jesus is, this is such a, a, a big topic that when we get to chapter 19, he's going to cover this again. But in this culture, uh, well, and here, if you're a note taker, let me just tell you is that uh, relationships should raise my commitment. In this culture, there was a prevalent rabbinic teaching that a man could divorce his wife for any reason. And I mean any reason. Um, if he didn't like her anymore, he could divorce her. If she uh, cooked his eggs wrong, um, if he found someone that was more attractive than his wife, he could divorce her. And all he would have to say is, uh, he would say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And it was done. And then um, he would write her a certificate of divorce, you know, to keep it legal. And it was done. And the certificate uh, is impor was important to them because then they would feel righteous and they were like law-abiding citizens who obeyed God. And once again, they were missing the point. And this is the issue that... Um, Jesus is going to answer this question again in chapter 19, and, and Jesus' response is, is that love demands more than a certificate. In fact, in uh, Matthew 19, Jesus would say it this way. He says that he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And this is the point that Jesus is making. He's saying, if you think that somehow you can walk away from your wife and you can walk away from your kids, and just because you gave her a receipt, you're okay with God, you're gravely mistaken. And, and once again, and he's saying that 
And, and then he's saying that the spouse that they divorced are now committing adultery because it wasn't even a valid reason uh, for, for, for divorce. And once again, and this is the point, right? Is that if we want to have a voice in our culture, we have to do better than the culture when it comes to marriage and when it comes to relationships. But when Christians get divorced just as much as everybody else, when they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend as much as everybody else, when they're having extramarital relationships just as much as everyone, uh, everyone else, let me tell you something, no one will listen to us. And this is why the church has very little voice when it comes to issues of sexuality or homosexuality or transgender issues. No one believes us anymore because we're doing everything just like the culture does. And the point, once again, what Jesus is saying is, is that you cannot give up on your relationships, hand your former spouse a receipt, and then think that all is good. It's not good. And by the way, it's not even good with the culture around us who's watching us. Because listen, marriage is hard. And you're going to have every opportunity to find a reason to walk away because everybody's got their reason as to why. But what shows what kind of relationship you have with God is not your certificate writing skills when things get difficult. It's your level of commitment when things aren't easy. And listen, this is why couples struggle. This is why friendships suffer. And this is why people keep making the same relational mistakes over and over again. Because everyone is holding on to this law. Oh, but I wrote a certificate thinking that that's how we get the results that only love can bring. And this is why we find ourselves empty over and over again when it comes to relationships. If we want the results of love, we have to operate based on love. And when we hit people with the law, whenever they fail us, and then we don't understand why our relationships are tense and on edge and, 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 and on the verge of falling apart. Jesus is saying, listen, if you really want to live, We've got to operate on a new plane. If we know God and have experienced the love of God, it's time to embrace the reality that we cannot be right with God and harsh with people. We can't hide behind a prayer that we prayed or right theology, all the while our actions and attitudes aren't influenced by the love that we say we've experienced from God. So what do we do? What do we do? We've got to start loving people and stop keeping score. We've got to start loving people in a way that reflects the love that we have for God. We've got to start giving people in our life the benefit of the doubt the same way we want the benefit of the doubt. And you know what? Something amazing will happen. Your world will change. The people in your life are going to change. Because the reality is, is that even if they stay exactly the same, it won't feel that way because you've changed and your life will rightly reflect God's love in you, God's love towards you and God's love through you to others. And no one can stay the same when they've been loved unconditionally because love, love demands more, but love also causes us to become more. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that that you haven't dealt with us based on law, but based on unconditional love. So God, our hope is, as we've experienced that from you, help us to share that with those who are around us, those who love us, those that we're struggling with, those that maybe have sinned against us. God, help us 
because we know you're going to meet us. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.